Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Joshua chapter 23. You can follow along with me in your own Bible or in the Pew Bible or on your smartphone Bible or in the bulletin where it's been provided for you conveniently so that you can follow along if you would like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here and we're so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be down at the Knoxville Auditorium for Disney on Ice. Let's celebrate. It starts at noon. Uh, you should stay. Uh, and, uh, or you could, uh, you could be buying tickets for Qatar so that you could go to the World Cup or you could be grounding your children children for continuing to sneak all that candy that they're not supposed to be eating anyway, uh, or you could just be sick of all the candy and throwing it in the yard, hoping somebody will pick it up so you don't have to eat it all. Uh, but you're not doing any of those things. Uh, you're here with us this morning, and it is great to have you. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and think about the kindness and the beauty of his salvation for us. And so I do want to thank you for joining. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer. Well, Redeemer's a church, okay? And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name uh, to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to have fun with one another. We love to uh, try out for Disney on ice together. We love to watch basketball together. But we really love to gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight uh, to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville. And hopefully in some way, it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. We're a people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, we're in this series that we've entitled, Great is His Faithfulness, Reflections on the Book of Joshua. And as we've looked at this book week after week after week, uh, what we've said is, this is a hard book. It is filled with conflict. It is filled with disappointment. It is filled with failures. It is filled with war. It is filled with judgment. And many times as we go through this book, it feels so culturally distant. But what I hope we have seen week after week after week is that God is faithful, right? That God is faithful. And so this morning, what I hope uh, for us to consider is that we would cling to the faithfulness of God. 
that we would be a people who cling to the faithfulness of God. So with that in mind, let's look together. Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, you have been fulfilled for sure, have, concerning you have been fulfilled for sure, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly. From off the good land that he has given to you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful uh, for this, your word, that you are a God not hidden, nor are you silent, but you are one who loves to make yourself known. And you've done this in uh, your word by your Holy Spirit. And ultimately, you've done this Uh, in the person and work of Jesus. And so it is our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that you and your kindness by your spirit would attend unto us, that we would see lovely, beautiful things of you in this, your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this is a bit obvious for many of us, but I I just want to say that Neyland is, or Neyland, Neyland is awesome. I mean, tailgating, 
the Vol Walk, Smoky 10, Smoky 11, the Smoky that dances around, uh, the Davy Crockett, uh, the running of the T, the new old VOL, VOLS letters that Andy Lamb designed, uh, the flyovers, uh, Rocky Top being sung over and over and over and over and over again uh, this year. The, the, the flashing lights, uh, the fireworks, the checkerboards, and then there's this football game that's going on. And I think about how amazing it is, like Saturdays in the fall where you gather together with 102,000 of your closest friends, many of whom you don't know their name. Uh, and, uh, and I would imagine that growing up in this city, right, and bringing your children to their first game at Neyland must be amazing. My children are grown. We went basically as adults, but I can imagine bringing your young child to their first game must be amazing. But I could also assume that it would be incredibly frightening because your young child only comes up to the waist of about 101,000 of the people that are there. And and if you get into the stadium and, and you get split up or if you get cut off, from your child, it would ruin uh, the wonderful day. And so I'd assume that before you go to the stadium, uh, you would probably have a talk with your child and you would say, hey, look, Walker. Hey, look here, Jolene. Hey, looky, Steve, Dave. Uh, We are about to experience something that is amazing. We are about to experience something that is filled with excitement and everything is going to try to be vowing to catch your eyes and your heart. It is going to be amazing and you're going to love it, but this is very important. If we are going to enjoy this day and if we're going to do this together, you've got to stay close to me. You've got to stay near me. You've got to stay near to me. You cannot run off and get Petros by yourself. You cannot run off to try to get closer. We cannot get separated. You must cling to me. You must hold to my hand. And I promise you that I will watch over you. And I promise you that I will hold your hand. And that's what's going on here at the end of the book of Joshua. It's been about 25 years since chapter one. And the people have entered into this big, exciting land. And there have been these big battles and they've won those battles. There are new battles that are about to come and they've begun settling into the land, enjoying the land. And Joshua is saying to them, look, he gathers them together. He says, look, if you want a long life in the land, if you want to enjoy the land that God has given you, then you must cling to him. And that's the point of this passage, that we must cling to the Lord. And you see this in verse eight. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. You must cling to the Lord. That's what he's saying. And what is the reason that we must cling to the Lord? We must cling to the Lord because he clings to us. We must cling to the Lord because he clings to us. I want you to notice the way that God is identified over and over and over again in this passage. Notice that he is the Lord, your God. Look at what it says in verse three. And you have seen all that the Lord, your God has done. For it is the Lord, your God, who has fought for you. 
And this phrase, the Lord your God, is used two times in verse 3. It's used two times in verse 5. It's used again in verse 8, again in verse 10, again in verse 11, twice in verse 13, again in verse 14, twice in verse 15, and then again in verse 16. And so who is this Lord? Who is this God to whom we must cling? He is the Lord your God. And what this means is that the God of Christianity is a personal God. What this means is that Christianity is about relating to a personal God. The God of Christianity is not a set of ideas. The God of Christianity is not a way to vote. The God of Christianity is not a list of moral rules. The God of Christianity is personal. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is a God who loves us. He is a God who gives himself to us. He is a God who does things for us. He is a God who relates to us. He's a God who makes promises to us. He's a God who fights for us. He's a God who provides for us. He's a God who blesses us. He's a God who is with us all because he loves us. And so when Christians talk about having a personal relationship with God, we do not mean that that relationship is private. In fact, we mean the exact opposite. Because a personal relationship with God means that we relate to him as he is with all that we are. I want you to look at what it says in verse 11. It says, be careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And what does it mean to love the Lord your God throughout the Bible? How do you do that? It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. To love the Lord your God means that you love him with everything that you are, with everything that you have, and in everything that you do. This is what's behind the Apostle Paul's statement in Colossians chapter 3. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever you do, what you speak, what you do, whatever you do, do it how? In the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And is it not true that the God who identifies with us is a God who identifies with us publicly and personally? Just as we saw in baptism. Is God marking us publicly out as belonging to him? Is God marking us as his children? As he puts his name upon us? As he puts his love upon us? As he puts his promises upon us? And then what is he like? He's a God who is faithful to everything he says that he will do. And you see these promises and his faithfulness getting recounted. You see it in verse 1. Uh, He gathers the people. He says, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all the surrounding enemies, he'd given the rest that he had promised. Notice verse 13. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He said he would fight for you. He has fought for you. Look at verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. And look what he says in verse 10. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. 
just as he promised to you. And what I want you to see here is that these promises aren't merely promises. These are personal promises. Or maybe another way of thinking about this is that these are promises for you. He's saying, God fought for you. He drove them out for you. He made these promises to you. You see, here's the point. He's always been faithful. He has always been faithful to you. He said that he was going to make you a nation, and he's done it. He said that he would be your God, and he is. He said that you would be his people, and you are. He said he would give you this land, and he has. He said that he would bring you into his rest, and he has done it. He said that he would provide for you, he would fight for you, he would bless you. And he has done these things. All that he has said, he has done. Now, the point of reminding us of these historical moments isn't meant just to give us a history lesson. The point of recounting these historical moments is meant to be motivational. Because as he recounts these events in the past, he's trying to encourage them to live faithfully into the future. This is exactly what Joshua says in verse 5. He says, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, in light of all that God has promised, and in light of everything that he has done, you can be assured that he will remain faithful. To put this in New Testament terms, what he's saying is, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And this is why here at Redeemer, we love to talk a lot about uh, reminding, because we need to be reminded so that we might remember. We need to be a people who are constantly remembering how God has been faithful to us. And how he's been faithful to us as a community. And how God, year after year after year, has met our needs. As God in his faithfulness and his kindness to us has given us this beautiful, strategic little corner in the middle of the city. As he's been faithful to us to allow us to gather together for almost 20 years of singing beautiful hymns and worshiping him with one another. And as we've sent out missionaries and as we've planted churches and if we've sent out some of our pastors and we just sent out a pastor to do doctoral studies and uh, we've been encouraged week after week by Jesus, as we've learned more and more and more of him, as, as we've seen baptisms, as we've come to the table together, as we've watched one another get married and as we've uh, buried faithful saints of the past. And through all of this, what we have seen is that he has been faithful. Over and over and over again, our God has proven himself to be faithful. And not just to this community, but also to us as individuals. I think it's really important for us to have time in our life where we pause and we rest and we just reflect And remember all the ways that God has been faithful to you. Maybe some of you journal. 
And you should write down these ways in which God has shown himself to be faithful. So that in those times when it's hard to remember, you can recount all that he's done. You can remember how he gave you that job at just the right time. You, you can remember that friend and, and their words to you at just the right time. You can remember the way the Bible spoke to you at just that right time. And you can look back on your life and you can see, oh my goodness, I'm not the same as I used to be. I still struggle, but God has changed me. I'm a new person because God has been faithful. He's always been faithful to me. But God's faithfulness to his promises also means that he is faithful to all that he has promised. And this is a challenge. I mean, notice in verse 14, you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All that have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. It's great news. Look at verse 15. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off his good land and that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Now, this is really important because what this is telling us is that God is faithful and he is faithful to everything that he has said. He is faithful to all his cursings and all of his blessings. Now, in light of this, some of you might say, well, I knew it. I mean, God pretends to be kind. God pretends to be nice. He pretends to want to bless us. But deep down, we all knew it, that he's just angry and mean. I want to say to you, I think it's just the opposite. God, in his kindness and in his grace, is faithful to warn us of the dangers of looking for life outside of him. In fact, he's, he, he's like a good father who would say to his child, if you stick your tongue in the electric socket, it's not going to feel good, right? It, it, he's telling us, if you look to find life apart from me, you will die. And here's the deal. What was the temptation for the people of Israel here was they were receiving the promised land of God. And as receiving it, they then entered into it and they wanted to live in that land for themselves. They wanted to spread out into the land for their own comfort. But God didn't give them the land so that they could go off by themselves apart from him. In fact, it was just the opposite. He gave them the land so that they might live in the land with him. And this is subtle. I want you to notice this in verse 15. It says, until he is destroyed from off his good land. It is his good land. And this is really important. The land never belonged to Israel. The land always belonged to God. And therefore, Israel did not have the freedom to decide whether or not God would be a part of their life in the land. They did not have the privilege, you know, it was not as if God was asking for the privilege of being their God. It was not as if God was uh, asking for the privilege to dwell with them in the land. God was saying, I am your God and you are my people. That's the way it is. 
He was saying, I want you to dwell in the land with me and that will be good for you. That's what he's saying to them. And I want you to notice uh, what he says, verse 12. He says, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, look, you can't, cling to me and cling to another. The way Jesus might say it is, you can't serve two masters. And so he begins to warn them of the consequences of turning away from him and intermarrying among the nations. In verse 7, mixing with the nations or mentioning their gods or swearing by them or serving them or bowing down to them. And, and some people read this and say this is just racism, but it's not racism. What th this is about God inviting his people to love him and to be exclusive in their love for him, to love him above all other gods. And look again at this warning, verse 12. He says, they will become a snare and a trap, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Now, this is really amazing. Because God does not say, if you give yourselves to other gods, I will whip you and I will put thorns in your eyes. What he is saying is this. He's saying, if you bow down and you serve other gods, those gods that you want to serve, they will become a snare. They will become a trap. They will whip your sides. They will be thorns in your eyes. See, what Jesus is saying, what God is saying is, I've been faithful to you. I have loved you. I've given everything to you. And if you think they will love you better than me, they will destroy you. They will oppress you. They will beat you. It will not go well. They will make your life miserable. Now, this is a part where Joshua feels really distant, maybe, for many of us. But is it not true that we, too, live in a land filled uh, with gods? A land filled uh, with idols that are crying out for the affections of our hearts? Do we not wake up every morning tempted to cling to someone or something other than God? Do we not wake up being tempted to cling to what Tim Keller calls counterfeit gods? Things like power, competence, some social cause, intelligence, virtue, politics, money, success, being a good parent. And when you go to the mall, do, do not these idols just cry out for your affections as you walk by store after store after store and all of them are saying, if you just get something from here, I'll make your life happy. If you just buy this, you'll be beautiful. And when you walk on a campus, does the campus not tell you what is most important? Your degrees, being smart, your internships. When you go to cities like D.C., politics, power, all the idols, all the images are set up all along the mall 
to tell you what really matters, what life actually matters. When you go to New York City, entertainment, real estate, success, accomplishment. When you go to Boston, it's your intelligence. When you're in Knoxville, it's victory, it's athletics, it's your family. And if you succeed in these things, you'll be okay. If you succeed in these things, you will be filled up. You will be successful. You will have the life that you desire. And then we all have these personal gods that rule our life. For some of us, it's romance. Others of us, it's work, it's power, it's wealth, achievement, access, health, or beauty. But it's not just individual gods. There's also cultural gods. And in our culture, like military might, technological progress, economic prosperity, political power. And then different cultures value different things. Traditional cultures, right? They tell you to worship your family. They tell you to worship hard work and virtue and duty. And then progressive cultures, they they tell us to worship freedom and choice and equity and self-discovery and fulfillment. And then even in our vocations, the business world tells us that we're to serve efficiency and profit. And in the art world, we're supposed to serve self-expression. And what God is saying is he's saying, look, when you give yourself to these things, when you serve these things, they will be a trap. They will ensnare you. They will be whips on your sides and thorns in your eyes. And they'll never be satisfied. It will never be enough. I think the greatest showman sings about it the best when they say, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars that we steal from the night sky will never be enough, never be enough. Towers of gold are are still too little. These hands, you know, can hold the world, but it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. Right, our idols are never satisfied. Our idols never rest. And because our idols are never satisfied, they can never give us rest. But our God is different. Our God is better. What does our God say to us? But come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Come and find rest in me. Now, if you've ever uh, read the Bible, uh, one of the sad things about the Bible Uh, is that uh, these people in the Bible, like us, uh, didn't cling to God. They didn't do it. In fact, they turned away from God, and they turned away from his ways, and they began to bow down to the other gods, all because they wanted to become a nation like all the other nations. And so they took on all the gods of all the other nations because for them, God was not enough. And by turning to all these other gods, those gods then became a snare and a trap to them, so much so that in the year 722 BC, the northern kingdom, Israel, was then taken over by the Assyrians, and they lost their identity. And then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom, Judah, was exiled from their land to Babylon, and the people of God 
by clinging to the idols of the land, they lost their rest. They were divided by civil war. They were exiled from their land. They lost their global identity. They were oppressed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and by the Persians, and by the Romans. All because they let go of the covenant God to cling to the idols of the world. And this is why it's really important to keep reading the Bible. Because if you keep reading the Bible, you you come to this book that we call Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The house of Israel and the house of Judah had broken the covenant. They were being cast out of their lands. They were losing their identity in God. And he says, there will be a day when I will make a new covenant. And what does he say? I will bring them to health and healing. I will reveal to them abundance and prosperity. I will cleanse them from the guilt of their sin and will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And they shall fear and tremble because of all all the good and all the prosperity I provide it. Did you hear that? Why will the people fear and tremble? Because God is so good. Because he will restore prosperity and wealth and goodness to them. And he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So when will he do it? When will he do that? Well, the text goes on, Jeremiah tells us, he says, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David. And who is that righteous branch that springs up from David? But it is the Lord Jesus. And it is with the Lord Jesus that God the Father makes this new covenant. Because it is Jesus, the one who is truly faithful. It is Jesus, the one who truly clings to the Father. And because he has been faithful in all of his life, in all of his heart, in all of his mind, in all of his strength, he has clung to to his Father, then all the blessings flow. They flow through him, and through him, all prosperity comes. And through him, peace will come. And through him, we can find rest for our weary souls. And through him, the nations will be blessed. And through him, we will be forgiven. And through him, we are redeemed. And through him, we will be restored to the Lord, our God. And that's the point of the table. Because here at the table, we see the new covenant. That's what Jesus says. He says, I am the new covenant made in my blood. And it's here at this table where we see the faithful one receiving all the curses of the covenant, all the curses. God is faithful to bring about those curses. And in his kindness and his mercy, they don't come out on us. They went out on him so that we might receive all of his blessings. And he says, come to me because I'm that covenant. Through me, the blessings come. Through me, the curses fell, and I will give you rest. I will give you myself. Come and feast upon me. And why does he invite us to this table? Why would he do this? To loosen our grips. 
to loosen our grips on the things of this world, to loosen our grips on those idols that cling to our hearts, and to reach out and hold tightly to him because he alone is faithful and he is kind and he is good and he will do it. And says, come and feast upon me. Cling to me that you might know my love. <laughs>